0: Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, hey, thanks so much for being here this morning, whether you're here in person, watching online. Uh, my name is Matt, and we are just so thrilled for you to join us today. Uh, you picked a great Sunday to be here, too. And not only because Scott's not here But because we just kicked a brand new series off last week called The New Norm. And it's really exciting. What we've been talking about and what we're going to keep talking about over the next couple weeks is the battles that many of us, if not all of us, face in our lives. You know, the battles that really keep us away from being the person that God has created us to be, You know, some of the things that we talked about last week was how a lot of times we battle within, right? We, we battle with our thoughts. We battle with, you know, some of the, the problems and issues and circumstances we go through. Some of those are internal. Other times it's the external circumstances in life that cause us to have that battle in life. And sometimes we talked about the spiritual battle, right? Like Satan, that, that he wants to, seeks to kill, steal, and destroy the person that God wants you to be. And so one of the things that I want to just lay out first and make the baseline of, especially the next couple weeks here, is this truth, that there is a person that God has created for you to be. Right? Like It doesn't matter if you're here and you are a Christian or you're not. uh, The same truth stands for every single person that God created. There is someone that God has created for you to be. Now, the reality is, No matter what season of life you're going through, there is always going to be someone or something trying to destroy it. There's always going to be something pressuring you or someone pressuring you or trying to urge you to do something or act a certain way or think a certain way that goes against the way that God has for you and for me. And so what we see in the Bible is that there's this battle between uh, doing things God's way and then doing things our own way or the way the world pushes us to do it and, and that they're constantly fighting one another. For those of you who are Christians here and you have made that decision to put your faith in Christ, that as you go throughout life you will in, interact with and encounter this battle between what God has for you and what for the what the world wants of you. And so the result of that and one of the outcomes of that is similar to what we talked about last week is we've got a lot of negative thoughts and, and emotions that we struggle with and we go through on a daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly basis all throughout our lives. It's a hard battle to fight. It's a tough battle to go through. For example, many of us would probably say we, could, we struggle with frustration and anger. Not that, you, you know, you have to be a hothead or, like, super angry person, but, I mean, even think the last year and a half of how crazy and frustrated many of us have been over what's going on in our world I mean, regardless of what you think about COVID or regardless of what political side uh, you stand on or what you believe about that, you've probably been pretty frustrated at some point or another. I mean, even think about COVID, right? Last April, it was the whole, what, 14 days. That's all we got to stay locked down for, right? That's all it's going to take, two weeks. And here we are a year and a half later, still dealing with some of the same exact things again. Again. I mean, many of us, our lives were changed forever, right? We went through lockdowns, and then, and then those lockdowns were lifted, and if we wanted to go to the places that we couldn't go before, we had to wear a mask, and, and, and then all of a sudden this vaccine comes out, and if we got the vaccine, then we didn't have to wear the mask anymore, and now it's, even if you have the vaccine, you still have to wear the mask, and it's just, it can be frustrating for many people trying to navigate and live through that, right? I think my big thing, my, like, the point of explosion was, like, when they told us that if you want to go to the gym, you've got to wear a mask, like, I think it was that point where I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like how, do, like, how does that even work? Like, you go to the gym, you're running, you're working out, and you're supposed to have a mask on. I mean, I can, you can barely breathe when you're working out as is. Like, how is that supposed to help you to get healthy and to work out? And so, you know, I'd find myself being really frustrated about this. And I'm like, I can't believe that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then, and then I thought, I mean, I don't even know why I'm so frustrated about this. I don't even go to the gym. <laughs> right? Like, I don't even work out. I mean, I don't know why I'm so mad about this and why it's worked me up so much in my life and and it's just true right we we get mad about things that have nothing to do with us but because we think we should be angry or maybe you know sometimes it is justified sometimes your anger and your frustration and your bitterness is justified which i'm sure it is a lot of times it's probably not a lot of times we probably just let ourselves get to the place in life where we get angry and upset and and bitter about every single thing that's going on in the world around us. And that's one of the battles that many of us face in life. I think that's why God says this to us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, Do not be bitter or angry or mad. Never shout angrily or say things to hurt others. Never do anything evil. I think what we learn throughout Scripture is that bitterness and, and being frustrated all the time is a miserable way to live your life. I mean, think about it. You might know someone who's like this, who's miserable all the time because they're so angry about everything going on. Don't look to them right now, okay? Like, but isn't it hard to be around people who are upset and mad about everything? I mean, you can't have a conversation with them without bringing something up that they're, they're mad or they're ticked off about or some reason they're angry and there's always a reason. And if you like that person, isn't that hard to not let that you know, shed on you too. Like, like you start getting angry about everything, and you're like, yeah, that is frustrating. Yeah. And, and then you start to realize you are bitter about some of those same things as well. And, and again, it's just such a miserable way to live our lives, but it's one of the battles that we face as we go throughout this life and navigate who God wants us to be in life. I think another thing that's pretty close to home for many of us is fear. That all of us in all seasons of life, we've dealt with a lot of fear. Maybe that's the fear of our future. Maybe that's fear of uncertainty. Maybe that's the fear of what might happen in your life or, or some way, shape, or form that has caused you to be afraid of life. I mean, even, again, same example, using COVID. So many people, even in this room, have been hurt and brokenhearted because of loved ones going through sickness and, and even some passing away. I mean, it just, it, there's a lot to be afraid of. There's a lot of things going on around us that can induce fear. And what we realize in the Bible is that that fear causes us to be paralyzed from living the life God has for us. It literally freezes us from becoming the person that God wants us to become. And as a matter of fact, here's what it says in 1 John 4, verse 18. It says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. In other words, there's a possibility that your fear is preventing you from loving or being loved in the way God created for you to love and to be loved. And so we've got bitterness, we've got frustration, anger, fear, all of these things that we're in constant battle with in life. But I think there's one other really big one that I want to hang out and talk about a little bit more this morning, because I think this next one is something that many of us don't realize is as is a big of a problem as it actually is. It's kind of one of those underrated areas in life that we don't really ever address and we don't talk about as much in, in life because we, we don't really think it's a, much of an issue and it's our thought life. It's what's going on up here on a daily basis. See, I was thinking about this this past week. It's kind of weird. Our, our thoughts are very unique, right? Because we can think whatever we want without anyone else knowing what we're thinking about. It's almost like the most free we are in our existence Right? You can think whatever you want, you can believe whatever you want up here, and, and no one else can know what that is unless you tell them. It's like our own little safe place that we can kind of imagine any life that we want to live. We can play out how we think life would have been if we maybe made some decisions a little differently, whether we moved here or went to school here or married this person or took this job or went into this field, or, or maybe the order of your life, what it would look like if you done, had done things differently. You can create imagination and, and imaginative scenarios of, of life, and nobody knows what you're thinking, right? It, you, you can't even be judged for your thoughts, unless you're married. <laughs> but it's real, right? You're, you're free. You can think whatever you want, and no one can judge you. No one can, can say that you can't think that because that's your own safe place. But in that freedom, I think there's a huge level of responsibility that we have as children of God, as people who are in the faith, even people who aren't, who are trying to figure this whole journey out. But it's a huge responsibility that we have to control what goes in our minds and what we think in our lives. Uh, So here's learning number one. If you want to follow along and take notes, you can go to that QR code of the Church Center app. You become what you constantly think about. That's a huge thing to understand as a Christian, as a, as a follower of Christ. You become what you constantly think about. I mean, think about this, for example. Um, have you ever been shopping for a car, a new or used car, and you find something you like, and you're like, man, I, I don't really, haven't really seen many of these out on the road. And as soon as you start looking for them, they're like all over the place. Like you see those cars all over because you're thinking about it, right? So me and my wife, we just bought a car, uh, you know, at the end of last year. And one of the things that I went into my marriage understanding, it was like our non-negotiable for my wife, was she said, I will never, ever, never, ever drive a minivan. Like, that was her one thing. She's like, that's the hill I'm willing to die on. Like, like, you either, that's basically how we got married. I was like, all right, sure, that's fine with me. And then we got married. Uh, but she's like, I will never drive a minivan. I, I do not want to be that, you know, person who drives a minivan. So at the end of last year, we're shopping for a minivan. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Like, it got to that place in life where we outgrew every other car. So we shopping, we're shopping for this minivan, and we're like, oh, man, we really like this model, right? It was like a Toyota. And we're like, we haven't seen many of these around at all. And then what happened was as we started driving around, we're like, they're everywhere, right? Everyone's driving these same things around, but that's just the way our minds work, right? We, we don't think of something, and we don't notice it, but as soon as we focus on it, we can't stop seeing it everywhere, right? So if you think of a yellow car, you'll probably see a yellow car on your way home today, and the same goes in other areas of life. You know, if you're in business or you like, you know, starting businesses or you're an entrepreneur or you have that mindset where you're always looking for opportunities, typically you'll find them, right? Like if you have your mind set on opportunity, you'll most likely find those as you go throughout life. But that's just the way our minds work. And so you become what you constantly think about. You are in essence controlled by what you let control your mind. Even though it's free, even though we can think whatever we want, even though no one can judge us or criticize us of what we're thinking, you become controlled by what you let control your mind. And that plays out in life a lot of different ways. Like if you think you're a loser, like truly if you think you're a loser in life, you'll probably live your life without ambition. Like if you go through life thinking that you could never be a leader, maybe you believed a lie or someone told you something in your life when you were younger, and you believe you could never be a leader, then you'll probably live your life as a follower. If you think that you're better than everyone else, that's what you've convinced yourself, then you'll probably live your life trying to prove yourself for as long as you live. If you don't think anyone around you loves you, if you don't think God loves you, then you'll probably, that'll play out in a way where you'll probably think that life is pointless, that there's no purpose especially for you, there's no purpose for you in this life. And you'll go throughout it thinking that we're here and then one just, just one day we're not. Our minds play a huge role in who we become in our lives as we go through those battles in our life. And so here's the typical scenario that many of us go through as we, we kind of talk about this in our mind and our thoughts and not and becoming who we are and, and what we're controlled by, especially when it comes to that battle that we have between, you know, what God says and what the world says, it's typically, here's what happens, is you're going throughout your life and you, you end up doing something wrong. Maybe you make a bad choice, maybe it's a sin, maybe it's something illegal, or maybe it's just something you know you shouldn't do, but you did it. Immediately, usually, what we feel is guilt, like that feeling of guilt, that's usually that voice that's like, I've done something bad. Uh, and that's not a bad thing, right? That's not an evil thing. That's not something that's of, you know, the evil forces in this world. That's probably of God. I think God puts guilt in each one of us in order to help uh, bring us to reconciliation, to help bring us to a spot where we ask for forgiveness and we confess our sins. Uh, here's what it says in 1 John 1, nine: If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. So guilt is not a bad thing. Guilt is not bad in itself. But what typically happens to many of us, if not all of us, is that guilt typically turns into shame. See, if guilt was, I did something bad, shame is, I am bad. Right? Guilt is external. Okay? We can deal with guilt. We can go through reconciliation. We can ask for forgiveness. We can confess those sins like we just read about. But shame Shame feels like it's welded onto our innermost being. It changes who we think we are. And especially as we try to live our life for God, it changes the way we believe God sees us. So if we think we're bad people because of something we did in our past, even though we've asked for forgiveness, even though we've become Christians in the midst of that, sometimes it's still hard to understand and see the true love of God that he has for us in the midst of that shame. And again, it becomes that battle between us and our our sinful selves and our old nature that we deal with throughout life. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible basically says this, that there are two ways to live your life. You can live by your sinful nature or you can live by the Spirit of God. And we'll talk about what both of those are in just a second. But, but those are your two routes as you go, especially if you've made a, a decision to follow Christ. If you're a Christian, you've got those two options to live your life. Here's what it says in the book of Romans chapter 8. In verse 5, it says this, those who live following their sinful selves think only about the things that their sinful selves want. But those who live following the Spirit are thinking about the things the Spirit wants them to do. In other words if you live by your sinful nature, that power of, of the world, the power of, you know, yourself, the, your doubts, the, the shame that you live, if you, if you live that way, then your mind will be consumed with those thoughts. However, if you live in the Spirit, they will be filled with godliness. You'll be filled with focusing on God It'll be filled with the things that God has for you and for me. And so so how can we tell which way we're living, right? That's the big question we've got to figure out is, how do I know if I'm living by the Spirit or I'm living by the sinful nature inside of me? And and it's easy. You can just look at your life. Ask a couple questions. I I wrote a couple down that, that will really help. Think about this. What consumes the majority of your time? Like if you were to lay out your schedule, I know many of us have a routine, but if you were to lay out your schedule what consumes the majority of the time that you have in your life? A lot of times we can look at where we spend most of our time and realize what's most important to us. How about this? What are the things you worry about most? Like what's what, what are the things that cause you anxiety? What causes you stress? What causes depression in your life? And typically it'll point to what you find is most important and what direction your life is going. How about what makes you angry? Like, what ticks you off the most in life? How about this one? Probably the best question you can ask. What college football team do you root for? <laughs> I mean, that'll tell you a lot about your life, of, of who you root for, right? But, but you ask asking these questions, like, what makes you sad? Like, think about it. What are the things that really, truly make you sad? Or on the flip side, what are the things that truly bring you joy and happiness and fulfillment in life? know, I think when we answer questions like that, we can see, am I living the way God wants me to live? Or do I care so much about the world and other things around me and things like myself? And is my life centered around myself to where I know I'm living for that sinful nature inside of me? And so we're introduced to this, the sinful nature and this spirit ways to live. And and listen, I'm not going to stand up here and Scott will never stand up here and be the Christian police and tell you what you should uh, love to do and you shouldn't love to do or, or what, what should make you happy and what should make you happy. You know, as Christians, I think we've got the freedom as adults to make that decision for ourselves, but we've got to realize that as we're going throughout our lives, there's this battle. There's this war that's going on inside of us each and every single day that we have constantly got to pay attention to and fight alongside of God. And here's the thing whatever side wins the battle usually determines who we become. Like whoever wins that war, whoever wins that battle, almost always determines the type of person you become in your life. That's why it's so important to take note of what's going on up here and what's going on in our lives and the steps we're taking in order to live and grow closer to God. Here's what he continues to say in verse 6. Paul says, Letting your sinful nature control your mind, it leads to death. But letting your spirit, the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. He's saying it's death. Like, if you want to live by the, the sinful nature that each one of us have, then it's going to lead you to a literal death physically, but also spiritually and emotionally and mentally However, he says, this isn't the way God created it to be. If you've become a Christian, if you've stepped into faith, then then you're not supposed to live that way. That's not the the direction that God wants us to have in our lives. Instead, here's what he says in verse 9, you are not controlled by the sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. So if you're a Christian, then you have received the Spirit of God. That's part of the promise. That's like the stamp that God gives to us. The promise that God gives to us is his spirit the moment we become followers of Christ. And so what does this look like? What does a life look like that's led by the spirit? And we're going to talk a lot about that next week. But one of the easiest things Paul says to do here in this chapter is he says this, you can learn how to say no to sin. So it's learning number two. We need to make a habit of saying no to sin. Maybe one of the hardest things to do in our lives is to learn how to say no to the temptations around us each and every day. Here's what he says in in verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. We're all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. In other words, what he's saying here is we need to learn self-control. We need to learn how to, to self-control in this world that we live in. And right, And it's hard because the world's out of control, isn't it? That's almost like the, the, the hard part of, of learning how to, uh, to live in a self-controlled way is we live in a very chaotic world that's always telling us what to believe and what to do and it's always changing and, and the, the way that's right always seems to be a moving target. But God says if we want to learn how to live by the Spirit, we need to learn self-control. And I think what he's getting to here is if we don't learn self-control, then something is going to control us. That's the sinful nature. That's the the nature that we have inside all of us. If we don't take hold of it, it's going to take hold of us. But he says, by the Spirit, we're no longer obligated. You don't have to say yes to sin. Whereas before you were a Christian, it was a lot harder and, and maybe even impossible to live the way God wanted you to live. He says, now that you've received the Spirit, you're completely free to say no to sin. And so I think in this culture, what Paul's living in, I think it gets kind of difficult for them because what he does is he gives them this example or a metaphor to try to prove what it really means to live in the Spirit or what happens when we become Christians and receive the Spirit of God inside of us. And here's the example or the illustration that he gives us or gives to the Romans too. And it's the example of adoption. Now, I know many of you here, you've experienced adoption in a certain way. Maybe you've adopted children of your own, or maybe you were adopted at some point in your life. And so sometimes when you hear verses like this, that it's very personal to you and you get it, like you understand that. Like I think when you become a parent, it's one of those things you really truly understand what it meant for God to give up his son to die on a cross. Like you can get it even before you have kids, but I think once you have children, it's like that becomes real. And it's the same way with passages like this, with adoption. You know, for those of us who might have not had many connections to people that were adopted or, uh, you know, adopting other children, it's, it's not as impactful for us when we hear and we see and read things that, that Paul says or that, that, that are told to us that we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And so I think if we get a better picture of this, of what that looked like 2,000 years ago, it's going to really drive home the point that Paul's making about what this all means. See, in Roman times adoption was a lot different back then than it is today. You know, in today's culture, we typically just have, you know, children that we adopt, right, between birth and 18 years old. Like there's not many people at all that are like adopting 30-year-olds, right? <laughs> like it's children, typically like fatherless and motherless children or, or children who've experienced hurt or, or harm or, or something has happened that has caused this child to not have any parent or guardian. And so uh, a lot of the, the structure that we have surrounds them with loving families, whether that's in foster care or adoption. And so uh, typically that's what adoption looks like for us. But back then in the Roman culture, that's really not how it was. See, what we do is we have this thing like called the, the, the age of, you know, adulthood, which is typically around 18. Unless you're like a millennial like me, then it's like 28 where you become your own adult and you get to be independent. Um, but legally, right, when you turn 18, you are by law, you are... Your own person, right? You can do whatever you want. You don't have to live under the authority of your your family, your parents anymore. You get to kind of become an independent adult. And that's like a legal way. But back then in Roman times, that didn't exist. Like there was no age that you got to that that sets you up to be this free adult. Let's say you're a father back in Roman times and you've got a son. Like that son could be 40 years old and he was still obligated by law to do exactly what you tell him to do. Like he could never go out on his own and do his own thing. There was no independence. He was completely and utterly dependent on you as the parent, as the father, especially until either you died or something happened like adoption. And so it wouldn't be unheard of in Roman times for families to adopt full-grown adults in their 30s and 40s because that's just how it was. It was less about taking care of a child who didn't have a parent and it was more about The inheritance that you passed along to those children. So a lot of times you'd see it was families or people who couldn't have families or people who couldn't have a son that would go and adopt some other boy or some other child in order to be or person to be a part of that family. So here's, it's kind of a weird process how they did it. It was somewhat of a two-step process. The first one was metaphorical and really more of symbolism. And so let's just say for the sake of argument, you know, there's a father or there's a family and they're going to give up their son for adoption to a new family, okay? So what they would do is they'd meet together somewhere in, in a public space and they would do this weird thing where they would, uh, essentially, it's going to sound weird, they would like sell their child to this new family, but then they would buy him back, Okay, and then what they would do is they'd sell him again to this new family, and then again they would buy him back. And I know that's weird, but what this was symbolizing was somewhat of like the last chance this old the original family had to hold on to their son, right, or to their child. Like, one of the things we're going to learn in a minute is when it came to Roman adoption, there was no turning back. Like, if you were if you were adopted by a new family, like you couldn't go back later and say, I want to start the adoption process again and, and find a new family or, or go back to my old family. Like, like it was done and it was over with. You could not do anything legally that would put you back into your old original family. And so when they would sell their children, then buy them back and sell them and then buy them back again, it was somewhat of their last chance to hold on to your kid. If, that's, if you want to be that parent, you need to hold on to that kid or else he or she, they're gone forever. And so if they wanted to proceed with the adoption, they would, for a third time, sell their child to this new family. And then that's, that'd be it. It'd be over for them. And, and they would take their new child, the new family would take their new child, and they'd go before a Roman official. And they would start the process of the legal adoption, basically. And and so here's what this uh, this this official would make sure that this new family and this new child of this family, they understood, because it was kind of a big deal. The first thing that they needed to understand and affirm was that they were going to lose, the child, the new kid, he was going to lose all of his rights to his old family. So if there was an inheritance, or there was some sort of political position or political power that he would have had, or maybe a a career that his father or mother had done and they were going to pass it down, that was gone. You had to completely cut ties with that old family and if you understood that, you could proceed to the next part, which was understanding this, that by law, your life, your old life is going to be dead. Like for, for, for like official purposes, we're going to treat it as you were born today. Like you weren't alive yesterday, you were born today. And so, so legally, you are part of this new family. And one of the cool things about that is that let's say the child that was being adopted, right, if they were in debt, like if they had a lot of student loan debt, as soon as they were adopted, that debt would be wiped clean, Right, like if they had a mortgage on a house and you know, all of a sudden they got adopted, boom, done forever. Like we need to bring that part back. Like that's pretty cool. <laughs> but the idea was is your old life is gone. Like you are not going back. There's, there, you have nothing left back where your old family was. You need to completely sever ties with them if you're going through with this. And the third thing was that exact thing. There's absolutely no going back. There, it's like a token. Once you use it, adoption once you use it, it's done. You can't start the process up back again. You can't go back to the family you came from. You can't even find a new family if you didn't like the one that you got adopted into. You were stuck with them until the day that you died. It was a, a once-in-forever situation. And so if, if the new family and the child agree on that, then the adoption process would be complete. And so this is the example that Paul gives. As he's telling us, and he's telling these people 2,000 years ago, This is what God did for each one of us who placed their faith in him. He's adopted us as his own children. Here's what Galatians 4 says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son Into our hearts. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So, learning number three when we follow Christ, God adopts us as children. When we step into faith in that moment, God says, I'm going to send the spirit of my son into your heart, and you will in that instant become my child. And so just like adoption, Paul says here that the sinful nature, kind of like the sinful nature, our old family's gone, right? That sinful nature is gone. Like, we can't go back. We're cutting ties with how we used to live. We're cutting ties with who we used to be. We're cutting ties with the identity that we used to have, and we're starting new into this new family of God. Just like adoption, he says, your debts have been wiped clean when you become a Christian, your debts have been wiped. No matter what baggage you bring into your relationship with God, God says in that moment, you have been forgiven. Even if you sin in the midst of your relationship with God, he will forgive you. He is just and his promise to us is he will forgive us of our sins. And then again, just like as adoption, there's no turning back. There's nothing that can separate us from his love the moment we begin that relationship. Here's how Paul closes this entire passage out in verse 38. He says, I'm convinced that nothing can never separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's saying, for those of you who've stepped into a relationship with me, there will never be anything that could separate you from your new family. No shame, no sin, nothing from your past, no mistake you make in your present Nothing in your future that you're going to do? Like, like, I know a lot of people get worked up when they, you know, when they become Christians and then they do something and they're like, how could God ever love me at this point? Like, do you think God didn't realize that when you first became a Christian? Like, he knew you were going to do that. Like, he knew the mistakes you were going to make and he still sent his son to die for you anyways. And so the promise that he gives us is nothing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God. The promise that we have of that is the spirit living inside of us that not only causes us and gives us the ability to say no to sin, but to embrace our new identity as a son or a daughter of Christ. The option and the choice we have to make is whether or not we're going to live the way God has created for us to live, or we're going to continue to feed the sinful nature that's battling us each and every single day. But remember, whoever wins the battle determines who you become whatever way is pulling you, ends up destroying your life. But again, if we live the way God has created for us to live, his promise is so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're we're just so thankful for the promise that you give to us in your spirit. In the moments where we doubt, moments where we feel like we failed, in times where we're just so frustrated and and angry and fearful. Sometimes when we think in our minds, we're just not even sure what's going on in our lives. We're adults, but we still feel like we have no idea what we're going to do tomorrow. The uncertainty, the heartbreak. God, we thank you for the spirit that you give to us. The spirit that gives us the power to say no to sin, the power that, that helps to lead us the way that you've created us to be. And God, I pray for those here today who are struggling with their identity. Maybe there's shame. Maybe there's something that you just can't stop thinking about. And you believe truly in your heart that God sees you differently because of it. I pray that those people here that think that and believe that would understand how much you truly love them and how far your love goes in each of their lives. And that whatever they're dealing with could never separate them from the love that you have for us. For those here who would say that they don't really have a relationship with you, and maybe you're here watching online and you've never crossed over that threshold of believing in Jesus and accepting what he did on the cross that will cover your sin, you can make that decision right now. It's nothing magical that you have to say. You don't have to jump through any hoops or do anything crazy, all you've got to do is just tell him. Tell him you love him. Tell him you you, you want to follow him. Tell him you embrace what he's done on the cross for you, and he's covered your sin, and that's enough. And in that moment, the scripture teaches us that the, the spirit of God is given to us, and we become adopted children of our Father. Lord, help us to love better. Help us to live the way that you've created us to live and help us to win those battles that we, we fight every single day. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, hey, thanks so much for being here again today. Um, you know, if you wanna continue filling out that connection card, go ahead and do that. If you have any questions or issues with anything like that, you can go to the hub right when you walked in. It's kind of our new area for you to get help if you just need any assistance at all. Uh, today's a pretty special day for us at Blue Ridge. We're actually going to do water baptisms at uh, Bissett Park at 1 o'clock, like right like in a, an hour and a half. And so everyone's invited, even if you're not getting baptized or you don't know anyone that's getting baptized or a child being dedicated, you can come and just cheer on the people who are making that, that next right step in their lives. And we've got some food trucks that you can come get some free lunch and just celebrate with us. But at 1 o'clock, we're going to do that at the boat launch at Bissett Park. And then right after that, at about 1.45, we're going to do dedications at shelter number one. So come hungry, bring a chair, and come celebrate with us. If not, I'll, I hope to see you next week. Thank you.